Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with fellow Propelio TV host, Grant Kemp. How are you doing, buddy? What's up, man? Thanks for having me on here. I'm, I'm glad to be here today. Yeah, so if you guys have not checked out, uh, every Wednesday on Propelio TV, Grant has a show called Grant Teach Me Something. Um, and I, I think you were the official first like outside of Propelio TV host, right? I was, yeah. And actually, um, and it may have been the... Uh, I may have been the first like legit like Propelio TV thing, period. But basically what it boiled down to is as I was recording the modules for Propelio Academy and for the creativecashflow.com Academy, um, I was there every Wednesday recording these things. And, and Ryan one day was driving in and he gave me a call and he was like, man, what do you think about doing like a like a live show like every week? Let's just put up a live show. And we can call, I don't know, just call it like Grant Teach Me Something or something like that. <laughs> and, um, and that's what flourished into really the Propelio Academy and, and Propelio TV and all that kind of stuff because we've seen that, you know, the, the, the investor at large um, – needs some assistance, needs some knowledge, needs some, yep. some people like, like, uh, you know, you and me who have been there, done that and are able and willing to share that information with somebody else to help them get where they need to go. So it's been a really cool experience. It's been a really fun, uh, time for us to be able to sit down and, 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 you know, help everybody out there buy more houses. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I, I guess I owe you a, a thank you because of the opportunity that you kind of opened up for, for people <laughs> like me to be a part of Propelio and the Propelio TV family. Um, it, it I have to be honest, like every Monday, I kind of dread Tuesdays because it is, it, you know, I mean, it's time consuming it to go to the studio and, and, and record and everything. But every Tuesday when I walk out of there, I'm so on fire and pumped up. Mm -hmm to see all the people commenting and asking questions and, and giving feedback on, man, you know, I listened to last week's episode and I implemented what was taught and, and it actually worked. And right. So, and there's so much, there's so much different experience on there between, you know, what we do here at titanium with being virtual and wholesaling. And then you go on there and talk about owner financing Right. We've got Corey Thompson talking about mobile homes and mm -hmm. all the craziness that he does. And then, <laughs> of course, you've got Daniel Moore, who's just, you know, he's Dude's a genius. Got, yeah, I mean, he's a genius in, in all these real estate investing. And then you got the Quest IRA and then you got the, the Iron Hills ladies. I mean, it's just it's it's an amazing cast of uh, people and just a ton of great content. So if you haven't checked that out, um, check out Propelio on either YouTube or Facebook. And uh, there's pretty much a show every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. So, and I hit, that, I think you nailed something there too when you said the Propelio family. I think the sense of community that's been had through uh, everybody that's watching those things, and you know, part of these podcasts and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's really the winner here, right? That's the fact that we that we have we we've been able to state a standard for what you know, podcasts and, and education should look like that you're, yep. you're never going to tune in and have somebody say, Hey, pay me $500 so I can teach you how to pay me $20,000. Right. You're going to get real actionable information. And that has built a community of folks that, 
you know, I've got a, a student down in Houston that that uh, actually the story even goes larger. I've got a student here in Dallas that got a deal down in Houston. Well, I've got a student down in Houston that I was like, okay, well, you know, let's shoot it down to them, see if they can do anything with it. They liked it, and uh, but they needed an agent to be able to help them, and so. You know, Elizabeth Neverready is part of that community in the Propelio world, and she's always watching the the videos and got involved on the Iron Hill stuff. And so I was mm-hmm. able to connect her with these guys, and they were super pleased. She ran the she ran the uh, her husband ran the uh, uh, construction for the deal. She found the owner finance buyer for them. You know, and and all of that being part of this community, um, it took like two or three phone calls, and three or four people were able to make thousands and thousands of dollars off of right. it just because we were able to connect them all through this type of stuff. So I guess the reason why I bring that up there uh, here is that if you are listening, you are part of the community and we are here to help you. We're not here to, I mean, yes, like we're, we're going to get benefits out of it. Let's not be disingenuous and act right. like it doesn't help us in some way, you know, but our, our, our calling and the reason why the people who are doing these things are where we are is because our calling is to try and help other people succeed. And as a listener or as a viewer, you are part of that community and, and having access to all of that community is just a massive part of success because it's not about what you know. It's about who you know half the time, you know? Absolutely. And and there's literally nothing that makes me more excited in this business than someone reaching out to me and saying, hey, you know, I listen to either the Titanium Vault or something on Propelio TV. And because of that, I now found success. Because oh, so often, I mean, there's people that tune in to either one of these and they're just, they're so obsessed with trying to find their way in this business yeah. and they're lost because either they did spend way too much on an education program that did not support them on the back end and they're just, they need that little bit of guidance or that network of people and uh, Propelio has done an amazing job of that. So with all that being said, who is Grant Kemp, and uh, why why should be why should people be interested in listening to us today talk about what you're doing in real estate? <laughs> um, I feel I feel like a flashback to that. What was the Arnold Kindergarten Cop? Who is your yeah. daddy, and what does he do? <laughs> uh, that's that's the best Arnold impression you get from me. Um, so, so. I could do much better. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. Actually, as a matter of fact, I want the rest of this interview done via Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions from your that side. That would make my partner Cassie so happy. She says <laughs> when I get angry, I sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's awesome. So, um, so my name's Grant Kemp. I'm from CreativeCashflow.com, where we help you buy more houses, and that is our that is our spiel. That's what I'm doing. So I I have spent the last uh, uh, sevenish years, seven or eight years, eight. I guess I'm coming up. I guess it's eight. Uh, years full time in real estate. In that time, I've done eighty to ninety million dollars worth of seller financed transactions. Um, I, you know, I founded a company named Texas Pride Lending, which some of you may be familiar with. I sold that a few years ago after we, uh, uh, you know, it took us only in, in about a span of two years. I, I grew that to be the largest RMLO service in the nation. Um, sold that company so I could focus back on my real estate side and the investing side, which is why I quit my job in the first place was to make money in real estate and uh, and went back into it. And so there I'm, I'm doing a lot of owner financing. Uh, that's my primary niche. That's what I really enjoy doing. Wrap subject to, you know, whatever the owner financing is a, is a slew of different options. Um, but I do rentals. I do fix and flips. I do wholesaling. I mean, if you've, if you've heard of it, I've done it with the exception of tax sales. I, I haven't really gotten involved in tax sales. And then, you know, from that, I, I found that I just I really have a passion for teaching people how to do this stuff. Quite frankly, I, I, I enjoy teaching people how to do it way more than I actually enjoy doing it. And so I've pushed over into that world with uh, creativecashflow.com and 
And so far, I've seen tons of successes for tons of students who have been able to get out there and get things moving for themselves. And like you said a second ago, RJ, that's what fires me up. That's what keeps me yeah. getting up in the morning is, is seeing other people succeed off of that. So that's Grant in a 30,000 foot view. I quit my job to invest in real estate, did owner financing, started Texas Pride Lending, sold Texas Pride Lending, uh, went back into owner financing and, and real estate investing. And now I'm in doing uh, uh, the training side of things. So let's let's break down to everybody that's listening. Why do you feel owner financing is a better option than a rental property? That's a really good question. And and you know, this is something that we've talked about before off air, but I, you know, just to just to clarify, I don't hate rentals. You're going to hear me crap on rentals a lot, but I think that it's I think that it's a, uh, a kind of a necessary evil because I think a lot of people need to have that sort of slap of reality in the face of what a rental is and what a rental isn't, right? A rental is not a way for you to quit your job, not really have money to get into real estate, not be super loaded, buy a bunch of rentals, and all of a sudden be rich. I think the false logic is that a lot of people have seen that rich people have a bunch of rentals and assume that people got rich off of rentals, and that right. is not the case. It doesn't happen that way. You get rich, and then you get the rentals. Mm -hmm. So rentals are good if you don't need to make money on that. And, and of course, I've got probably – you know, I probably have 40% of the audience right now ignoring what I'm saying because they think I'm wrong. And I'm going to ask you, how many people do you know that actually started with no money and got a bunch of rentals and became well off and, and, and rich? How many people do you actually know that that has literally happened to? And my, my, my response will probably not be very many at all. Of course, there's edge cases. Of course, there's people that have done it. Um, but it's not, it's not common. I know a lot of people in this, in this industry and it's just, it's just not common. So people think I'm going to get rentals. I'm going to make all this money off of cash flow. Everything can be going great. I know I've got another 40% of the audience saying, well, I make $500 a month on my rental. And the thing is, is that, you know, of that, of that portion of people, most of the time, if I keep digging that 400 or $500 a month that they're, that they're quoting is a gross income number. In other words, their rent is $1,000 and they're paying $600 to the bank. Right. And, 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 and RJ, you've got rentals. If, mm -hmm. I, if that's my case, if I'm getting $1,000 rent and my, my payment to the bank is $600, am I making $400 a month? No. You're, in, all, in all reality, you're probably upside down. You just don't realize it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's the... That's the, the the hard truth about rentals, and and you don't really realize it until you're too far in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and you know this episode is going to be coming out on uh, February first, and and so this is right in the state of Texas. Day. It's the day after D Day, <laughs> Tax Day, day, -day. Um, where where all property taxes are due. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, I think that's a time where everybody kind of realizes like, holy crap, like this is not what I thought I signed up for. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody's got their heels dug in and nobody right. wants to admit that they're not making the money that they thought they were going to be making. It doesn't sound good to say, yeah, I'm happy to break even on my rental. Right. But I guarantee you the vast majority by a large margin of landlords are breaking even. Uh, you know, right. that's 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 what you're hoping for. Right. If you can afford to have rentals long enough for them to be paid off, that's when you get into rentals. Because then when they're paid off is when you make your money. The other rule of thumb is you better have – if you want to make money, if you need to make money on that cash flow, your rent needs to be twice what your payment to the bank is. That's kind of a rule of thumb of like, okay, if you're going to cash flow on this deal, double what your payment to the bank is. That's what your rent rate needs to be if you want to expect to make anything on cash flow. 
So there's kind of a spiel on, on rentals on that side. Now the question was, why did I get into create or to uh, uh, creative financing and and seller financing side of things? And and the answer to that side, frankly, is the fact that I didn't have any money when I quit my job to do this. I had about fifteen hundred bucks that I could that I could apply to real estate. Um, I, if you are listening right now with a job and you have fifteen hundred dollars in your account, I am not telling you to quit your job today and go pursue real estate, <laughs> but. That's what I did. Um, I spent a long time researching, you know, on my Mr. Google saying, how do you buy real estate without having any money? And uh, and the route that the majority of the people take is wholesaling, you know, and that's that's where the majority of the people go when they when they want to get into real estate, don't have the money to buy those properties. Uh, wholesaling is a great option. Well, here's the thing with owner financing. When we sell that property, we're getting a 10 percent down payment, which will typically give us four, five, six, ten thousand dollars up front, which is you know, akin to your, your wholesaling, uh, uh, average, the, the average assignment fee. Um, and then you're setting up 350, 400, $600 a month in cash flow. Our average is $350 a month in cash flow. Now, the thing is, if my payment from my owner financed buyer is a thousand dollars and my payment on my bank loan for that owner financed property is $600, I am making $400 net cash flow. That is, in owner financing, your gross is your net. The amount of difference that you have between your payments actually is money that you get to count on and go buy groceries with. Yep. And, 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 and and let me ask you this: Do you have a uh, do you have a mortgage on your on your own house? Yes. Have you ever called that mortgage company and told them that your toilet was leaking? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> That's the beauty I, I of owner say, financing, man. We're a mortgage company. We give I will people say mortgages. this though: I I have owner finance properties before, and I have had the the people call me and tell me that their toilet is leaking. Though, <laughs> and and I have had to have that conversation where I'm like, my name is no longer R.J. Bates. It is actually Chase Bank now. Okay, right, right, you don't yeah. call Chase Bank when your toilet <laughs> leaks. You need to fix it yourself. But yeah, I, I think you bring up a great point, though. I mean. You know, just breaking down the difference between a rental and an owner finance and, you know, what your cash flow is on the owner finance is reality. Mm -hmm. And in rentals, you never actually know what your reality is. It's all Even looking you, back over past years and saying, what did I actually make over the last right. couple of years? You can you, never say I'm making this money this month that I get to spend this month. You could set aside for capital expenditures. You could say set aside 10% of your rental income. So say your your rent is a thousand dollars and you're setting aside a hundred dollars a month for capital expenditure so that's if the air conditioner goes out the roof fails and, and you your insurance won't cover it foundation plumbing whatever could possibly go wrong but as a rental you still never know when those problems are going to arise and how much they're going to cost mm -hmm. i mean i like not, to i like to point out because a lot of the the averages that we get is about four hundred dollars like my average that I hear people saying is the difference. Their gross cash flow is about $400, $300, somewhere in there most of the time. Uh, so I like to point out, okay, look, you're making $300, let's say, let's say $350 a month, and your air conditioning unit goes out. That's five grand, six grand. So now you're not making any cash flow at all for the next couple of years. Right. Well, what about in that couple of years if you have a vacancy for $1,000? Well, that costs you $1,000. So that's three more months until you make a net cash flow. Well, what happens in that two years and three months when one of your tenants slides the sliding glass door and it breaks 
and you have to replace a thousand dollars slide. You know what I mean? Like it always mm-hmm. just keeps pushing out and pushing out and pushing out and pushing out to where you are really actually not making any money. You're just trying to break even on this deal because of your cap taxes. So let the the argument against this is is but I'm not on an owner finance, I'm not capturing the appreciation. Right. And I don't have the large payoff, you know, in 20, 25 years, I don't have a house that's now free and clear that I can sell for a large payday. So as what well are your as arguments? Your tax- benefits to the, to the um, rental side, right? Like, yes, you do get appreciation of the property over time and you do get tax benefits for uh, having a rental that you wouldn't have on on having an owner finance deal. Right. Um the appreciation the appreciation side is less of an issue though because and I, you know I don't want to get too far into the weeds here because I I think it, it can be difficult over audio to try and you know sometimes drawing pictures really helps with this stuff but let's from 30,000 foot view most of the time if we're getting into a deal uh with owner financing that means that that we've bought with owner financing as well as sold with owner financing. In other words, I didn't bring money to the table to buy this house. Um, we are buying it maybe subject to or something like that, taking over on somebody's payments. Right. And most of the time, our average is about 4% on that payment, Okay, 4% on the mortgage that we're taking over on. And then we're going to sell it to an owner financed buyer at 95 to 9.9%. Okay, So that spread right there, what that ultimately boils down to mean is that we're paying off our underlying mortgage much faster than we're paying off, or than we're being paid off by our buyer. Okay, so in other words, when we buy these houses subject to taking over on payments, we're typically taking over on a loan that has 22 to 28 more years left on it. If you're familiar at all with how an amortization schedule works, the very first section of those payments. So, for instance, on a 30-year mortgage, these first few years are going to be where all of that payment, say you got a $1,000 payment, $950 of that payment's going towards interest. $50 is going towards your principal. As time moves on, that number changes to where like, you know, 15 years in, you may be paying uh, whatever, $400 in interest and $600 in principal. The way that, you know, the way that amortization works is it's always the same payment, but as time goes on, more and more of that payment in a percentage form is going towards the principal than the interest. The reason I bring that up is that when we buy these houses and we're taking over on payments, we're already two, three, five, ten years into those payments, right? So we're at the point where we're hitting more principal towards that underlying payment than we are interest, which means that not only are we paying off that loan more quickly because we're hitting more principal, but we're paying off that loan more quickly because its interest rate is only 4%. Meanwhile, we're starting a new 30-year mortgage with our buyer, and they're at 95 or 10%, and so their principal balance is being knocked away very, very slowly because they're still at the very beginning of that amortization schedule. So what I'm saying here is that, no, you're not capturing the appreciation of the property itself. However, your net worth is still growing because the debt that you have on that property is shrinking way faster than the, than the receivable that you have on that property. Therefore, your net worth is still growing over time. So my response to the appreciation argument is like, okay, yes, if you've got great appreciation years, of course, that's going to outpace what you get in this raise, but your net worth is still raising over time with an owner-financed property. Does that, I know that's a lot of numbers and a lot of, of, of uh, conceptual stuff, but does that does that make sense? Does that logic out for yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's something that I – always have to tell myself anytime I, I structure an owner finance deal that way, 
let, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. And, and I want to ask you, what are your thoughts about purchasing a property using either private money, hard money, cash, however you do it, and then doing a cash out refi for a 20 year amortization loan and then owner financing it on a 30 year amortization? What are your thoughts about doing that? I think it's excellent. Um, so you got to back into the deal. You got to figure out if you're going to be making cash flow, what kind of cash flow your requirements right. are going to be, that kind of stuff. But again, we don't have capexes, so we don't have to worry about that little buffer, right? My minimum uh, in the stage of the career that I'm in, my minimum is 150 a month in cash flow that I would like to get on my deals right now. However, that's a rule of thumb, and that can always be amended. And one of those reasons might be, well, I've got really good terms on my underlying debt. I'm not going to be really making anything on this deal for the next 10 or 15 years. But when that's done, we're going to be you know, just bringing it in like gangbusters. Right. I think what you've said is a really, really good plan. Now, you need to talk with your bank and your lending entity, whoever that is, and make sure that y'all are on the same page about you wrapping that mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, because you are going to be signing personally if you're going to a bank and getting that kind of loan. You are going to have personal liability, and you do need to – or personal liability, and you're going to need to you know, be concerned about your due-on-sale clause, and that'll be something that we get into here in just a second about this. Um, but I buy a lot of deals with – I mean, I, frankly, the majority of my properties this year were purchased with private capital out of somebody's IRA that we worked a 15, 20, or 30-year Amort on. We're paying them 8-ish, 9-ish percent uh, for the money, and then I'm wrapping that to a end buyer. And and that's where the majority of my deals were done this year because subject two, for lots of market reasons, is not necessarily the biggest strategy right now. Now, as that correction happens, our market correction is going to occur in a down market. Subject two is your savior. Subject two yep. is going to be the thing that keeps all you fix and flippers and all you wholesalers that would have been the guy that works at Atmos Energy in three years and says, man, I was doing really well <laughs> in real estate until the bottom fell out. Subject two is your answer to that, right? But for now, that's not where our market really is. And uh, that I think that private capital, your your refi option into a wrap is an is an excellent option. When you just brought up a really good point about what you were talking about previously, you're borrowing private money at eight or nine percent interest, and the mm-hmm. reason why you're doing that, a because you're buying at a discount, right? But also because of how it's it's breaking down the amortization with the with your buyer. I mean, you're if you're buying at a discount and you're say you bought a property for fifty thousand, but then you go owner finance it for a hundred thousand, exactly. that's how you're able to do that on the interest rate. Essentially totally. being almost the same. And and even could be more. Uh, you know, I think that that's one right. of the things that I have to train students oftentimes is that we will think, okay, I can only finance my house for uh, you know, less than nine and a half percent because I'm you know, I'm I'm going to be financing it to somebody for nine and a half percent. And and let me just give you some real quick numbers here. If you did a hundred thousand dollar loan at nine and a half percent for thirty years, that's eight hundred and forty bucks a month. Okay, that you would be getting in from your borrower. Now, for the sake of just ease of use, if you're if you're getting private money, and you wanted to make a minimum of a hundred and fifty dollars a month on your cash flow, that would mean that you would need um. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 840 uh, minus 150. I did that wrong real quick. Um. Gosh darn it. I see. I act like I can do this all on the phone with somebody, <laughs> which I typically can, but I'm just so pushing you, all the wrong buttons. But you here. need okay. to get it to where you're at 690. Is is yeah, what you would be willing to I'm, pay. So I could pay if I have a lender who's willing to to do 12 percent. 
Well, basically, I just need my basis to be $67,000, and I'm still making $150 a month. In other words, if I get a house at 67% of the ARV total basis, meaning our loan with our lender is $67,000, we can give them 12% for 30 years and still make $150 a month on this deal, financing it out at 9.5%. Yep. Lots of numbers there, but the principle being... Don't get so scared of what your underlying lien's interest rate is. So, okay, for the people that have never done an owner financing deal before, and I know there's a lot of factors that go into this, and there's different ways to do it, but real quickly, just take a couple minutes to explain all the steps that they need to take as far as what an RMLO is and, and how you actually structure it and explaining to the actual buyer what they need to bring to the table as far as down payment and escrowing taxes and insurance and things like that. Right. So, you know, that's that's a difficult thing to do in a in in a one paragraph. So I so <laughs> forgive me for those of you, you know, who know more about this and you're like, oh well that's pretty thirty thousand footed view because I because you know, guys, I've got a, a a fifteen hour course on how to do this. <laughs> you know what? I mean? so, right. So just to just to take it from the thirty thousand foot view, let's let's dis, let's uh, disregard. You know, for the sake of your question, only asking on the disposition side. Let's disregard all of the acquisition side. Your question was primarily, if I'm going to sell a property with owner financing, what are our steps there? Yes. Well, the steps there, you're going to contract it. You've got to get the you know an idea of what you want it sold for. Uh, I'm going to implore you to never accept less than 10% on your down payment for lots of different reasons. Um, it's not a requirement by law or anything, but I, but I really, 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 really encourage you to only take a minimum of of 10%. Um, and then, you know, what you're going to do is you're going to send that buyer over to an RMLO. That is a Dodd-Frank appointed title for a loan officer. Dodd-Frank calls it an RMLO, so that's what it is now. It's a residential mortgage loan originator, and this is going to be somebody that is licensed by the state and country, um, state and nation, I guess is the right way of saying it, uh, to originate these loans. And what they're going to do is they're going to take a loan application from your borrower, they're going to run their credit, and they don't make the decision. The RMLO does not make the decision. What the RMLO is going to do is they're going to collect all the paperwork that you need to make the decision on your borrower to where if you say yes to this borrower, then you will have what is called a QM by Dodd-Frank standards. In other words, a qualified mortgage. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about what a qualified mortgage can and can't be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, say it real short here. You can basically charge any interest rate you want. We don't have a minimum DTI, in other words, we don't, or, or a maximum DTI. We don't have a maximum debt to income ratio, and we don't have a minimum credit score. Okay, so technically, you can put somebody into your house with no credit and a 99% debt to income ratio, and still have a qualified mortgage, which is what gives you all of your protections in court if they were ever able to fight or if they ever wanted to sue in the future and say, "Oh, this big bad investor put me in a bad position." Uh, there's a lot of caveats that go along with that, but again, we're trying to keep a 30,000 footed view. <laughs> so you send them to the RMLO. The RMLO is going to gather all of that paperwork and say, here you go, Mr. or Mrs. Investor. If you choose to move forward with this person, here's all the information you need to show that you have a qualified mortgage. You're going to say, cool, you're going to look at it. You're going to see their credit report. You're going to see their bank statements. You're going to see that they've signed all the same disclosures that they would have signed if they had gone to Wells Fargo for a mortgage. All of them, same RESPA stuff applies. We're going to get all of that stuff done. And then when you say, yeah, this is cool. This is who I want to move forward with. Then what you're going to do is you're going to schedule out your closing with your closing agent. Okay. Now this in Texas, um, 
there's some timelines that need to be adhered to here. Uh, when you contract your your buyer, if you have an underlying mortgage, an underlying lien, in other words, you've got debt on the property, you've got to disclose to them that you have debt on the property, and you cannot close until seven days from that point in time. So there's a little bit of waiting period there. There's also a waiting period from the time that they go to the RMLO, and they sign uh, uh, some disclosures there. You have to wait seven days from that disclosure, right? So we typically say 15 days from the from the signature of your initial contract is a good time to give your attorneys. You're going to take that talk document. You're going to take your purchase agreement. You're going to take everything and send it to your attorneys and say, I want to close this deal with this person. The attorneys are going to schedule that out, and you're going to tell your buyer that they need to bring a one-year prepaid insurance policy for that loan. Now, what goes on that insurance is, a, a, again, it's another big, long uh, explanation. I actually have an entire hour-long episode on Propelio's uh, <laughs> Grant Teach Me Something, specifically on how to do insurance um, at creativecashflow.com. I've got a couple of different insurance uh, agents who have done interviews on how to have this insurance done. Very important that insurance is done correctly. But they're going to pay for a full one-year prepaid insurance policy at closing. So they need to come with that. That's going to typically cost them, you know, whatever, 1500 bucks or so. They also are going to be responsible for paying all of the closing costs for this deal. You don't pay closing costs when you're selling a property and owner financing. The buyer pays that. So they may be took looking at, you know, with the RMLO fee and with the attorney's fees, they may be looking at about $2,700 worth of closing costs plus the whatever, let's say $1,300 so I can make my math easy on a prepaid insurance policy. So now they're looking at bringing $4,000 to close and you need to collect two months of escrow payments in advance. Okay, You don't have to, but I'm telling you, I'm imploring you, you should. The law, Dodd-Frank actually allows you, to, and I don't know why they phrase it this way because it's the government and they do things stupidly, but in the, in, the, uh, in the actual act itself, it says that you can collect one-sixth of one year worth of escrow payments, which is two months. Like, why would they say one sixth of one year? Why don't they just say two months? <laughs> like, are we going to, are we planning on changing how many months are in the year? I, I don't know. But anyway, you get to collect two months worth of escrow. And I really encourage you to do that because that's going to save your butt at D-Day whenever it comes down in the next year and their insurance has gone up and their taxes go up. It keeps you from having to reach into your pocket to make up the difference, excuse me, the difference. Right. So they're bringing four thousand bucks plus two two payments of escrow. So they may be looking at four to five thousand dollars worth of actual closing costs and bringing to the table, plus the ten percent down payment that they need to bring you in order to buy that house. Once you go to closing, you're going to sign everything, you're going to record everything, and guess what, guys? Now it's their house, and you are the bank of RJ. You are yep. the bank of whatever, and your job. This is really. Passive income. This is what everybody acts like rentals are, which is mailbox money. You don't do stuff. They pay you on the first, and if they don't, you take the house back. That's how that works, you know? Right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to to break that down because I know it, it. you're so knowledgeable in this area. And, and like you said, you have several classes, a 15-hour class just on this topic alone. But, you know, it, it's very important for people to understand some of those additional costs. Because mm -hmm. it, it's very embarrassing if, if you as the investor don't know those things. Right. Um, and I'm speaking from experience. My <laughs> first couple of ones, they didn't go so smooth because yeah, you're like, I'm so I, sorry I, to tell you yeah, this, I mean, you need another 3000 bucks. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it was like, oh, man, yeah, full year of insurance. And yeah, you got to do this and you got to do that. And all of a sudden it's like, man, you know, they only had X amount of dollars. And right. we, we were just trying to take all of that as the down payment. And so at the well, end of the day, that hurt us. Yeah. 
and I will shamelessly self-promote here, so forgive me in saying this, <laughs> but at creativecashflow.com, I have for my members several ways to negotiate your way into that to where like like in your example you said hey you know let's say they only had ten thousand dollars in their bank account and you were saying yep. okay ten thousand dollar down payment that's sweet but then it comes out they need four thousand dollars more i've got some pretty creative ways to get about doing that to where essentially you can you can uh finance them their closing costs so yep. you're not coming out of your pocket for them but you're still even going to be making interest on the money that they are not bringing to the table at that point in time, and it gets them into the house that they want. So there, there are some solutions to get around that situation uh, while still being fiduciarily responsible. I have to say that really slow or else it sounds like I'm drunk. <laughs> Since you shamelessly <laughs> plugged yourself, I will shamelessly say that is exactly what I did. And awesome. I, I felt like I was one of the smartest guys in the world <laughs> for coming up with that on the spot. I was like on the phone with my title company. And I was like, we could just increase the note amount and actually finance this. And then I'm making yep. more positive cash flow over the long run. Okay, let's do that. Good job. So, um, you know, I, but that's the beautiful thing about it. That's why it's called creative financing. You know, yep. I mean, it, you can get very creative with it and you can find ways to make deals work. Um, I think you gave some very wise counsel there about, you know, make sure that you're escrowing two months of uh, of escrow there. And then also um, do not accept less than 10% down payment. Um, also other items that I've learned the hard way. Hence why I wanted to have you on to teach us about these things so people do not repeat my mistakes. Uh, so um, yeah. I know that you currently have something that you are very passionate about. Um, if you're not following Grant on Facebook, please do, because um, this is uh, something that's close to anybody that's interested in doing this, specifically in the state of Texas. Um, there's a bill trying to be passed that is going to eliminate the ability to wrap a mortgage with a due on sell clause. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, it's it's Senate Bill number 42. Um, and, and we really, I mean, we got to be on top of this stuff, guys. So here's the thing is that. You know, if you're listening in Texas, even if you're not listening in Texas, we have a lobby effort nationally and we have a lobby effort here in Texas. We don't have to like that cho that that government is done through lobbyists, but we have to understand that government is done through lobbyists. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, as Matt Acock put it, if you're not on if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. We got to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to get our voices heard because as time goes on, you know, guys, there's 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 crooked people out there. There are snakes in every industry, and this is an industry that has a lot of money, so it causes a lot of people, a lot of snakes to look at it. Now, we want to run those snakes off, and I don't want to parse any words and make anybody believe anything otherwise. We don't want that here. The, the phrase, you can stop any of my employees in the hall, and you can ask them, what are we going to do? And they're going to say, we're going to do the right thing, especially when it's not in our favor. That is our motto. We go by it, we live by it, and I encourage you guys to do the same thing, okay? But there are people that don't agree that don't that don't play that way. And those guys screw it up for everybody. For instance, if you're listening nationally, you're probably still able to do a contract for deed, which is beautiful for us as investors. Well, here in Texas, contract for deed, i.e. a lease option, kind of got killed for us back in 2005 because there was a there was two bad apples that did a lot of deals with contract for deeds. Uh, properties got torn down with with a uh, tornado, and they didn't pay any of those owners their money. They went to Cabo instead. Those owners mm. marched down to uh, Austin, 
and got rules changed. So now we can't do a lease option for more than 180 days or three years if you've got specific requirements and jump through a bunch of fiery hoops. Um, so what we're seeing is that as time goes on, if the if the National Association of Realtors had their way, and again, uh, you know, uh, whatever, I'm not trying to speak badly on, but if they had their way, every transaction would be done through a realtor, right? Anything that's not done through a realtor is a threat to them because right. that means that they're not making money off of that transaction. So we are going to see more and more and more of our strategies that we are using under the gun. Okay, we've seen some changes to wholesaling already. We've yep. seen we're seeing changing uh, things happen with uh, owner financing. We've seen municipalities and cities get on a really creative way to tax uh, a landlord, which is by causing us to pay for inspections and pay for uh, certain licenses that you wouldn't have to pay for if you were a owner occupant of that property. You know, mm -hmm. and so at, at its at its face value, you're like, oh, okay, well, they're just making sure that there's not slumlording going on. But at, at its core, they found a way to tax landlords for being landlords, right? right? So there's we have to understand that the government is going to be moving further and further away from us if we do not show them that intellectual, ethical people are doing this business. Okay, if all they see is the negative. We are we are from a from a core of our humanity, we are wired to overvalue negatives. How many of you are in a situation or have ever been in a situation where you do something in a public way, whether that is wearing a new outfit or you know performing on stage or doing whatever, and you'll have forty people tell you what a great job you did, and then one person is like, "Yeah, it's kind of crap. Uh, mm -hmm. you're you know you look ugly today." Well, which one do you walk home feeling? You you walk home feeling the negative one, right? right? We are wired as humans because that's what has saved us over the years is if we remember vividly negative things and that keeps us from walking off bridges and that keeps us from doing things that are bad. What I'm getting at is the legislators are going to hear these negative stories of times that somebody was screwed over using some kind of strategy that screwed them. Let's talk about the tax to landlords. Somebody got screwed by slumlords not fixing their crap. So now every landlord in you know Mesquite and Garland and, and now Dallas has to pay for these inspections to come out. And the municipalities don't care. They're making tons of money off of it, and they're taxing us. But it looks like a consumer protection. Right. Well, that's what they're doing with wraparound mortgages right now. Senate Bill number 42 is coming out and, and very fiercely attacking a wraparound mortgage when there are ways for us to do wraps the right way protect everybody, disclose everything, and let adults make decisions for themselves on if they want to accept the risk of buying this house with an underlying mortgage when they have no other options for buying a house. So our argument is let's disclose, let's make sure everybody understands what's going on, and if everybody's cool with it, let's move forward with it. And that's not what is in this bill. Therefore, we have to band together and have our voices heard, and the way to do that is through Texas 100, which is www texas100.org and i'll be very upfront with you we need 35 more members we need 35 more members and we need them soon because we got to pay for these lobbyists this money does not go to anybody but a lobbyist who is voicing our voice to the legislators to help them put into into place something that we can live with so if you're if you're listening to this go join we need a 35 more members giving a thousand dollars a year that is not much and not only are we fighting for stuff like this that has to do with creative financing but this is our investors lobby effort this is us as investors 
being ready and prepared to fight back when the government is trying to take away certain strategies that we use to feed our families. And I'm very passionate about that because, again, if we're not there, if we're not sitting at the table, we're on the menu and our rights will be getting taken away and away and away and away until eventually we're at left with another contract for deed situation where we just can't do it anymore, even though it's a totally valid strategy. So if you haven't noticed yet, um, today's episode is a little bit different than most. And I, I, I would say I purposely did this, but I'm not going to give myself that much credit, but Uh, (laughs) I wanted to talk about this topic because you're absolutely, I mean, 1000% correct in what you're talking about, that it is up to us to stand up for our rights here and to make our voice heard and make sure that they realize that there are, you know, investors that have integrity and have morals and are doing things the right way. And, And the thing that stood out to me the most was, let adults be adults. I have banks that actually get excited when I tell them I'm going to own or finance the property when they're giving me a mortgage nice. because they feel like that is more secure than a rental property. Thank you. I've been saying that to banks for I'm like, why do you have a problem with this? Now you've got two people with blood on paper saying that they have to pay for this thing. I don't Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and, and that's where – logic steps in now mm-hmm. i'll be the first to say majority of the time banks do not have logic so right. just go ahead and realize that i found a very special bank that has this logic but mm-hmm. this is where logic stood in and like you said there's two people that have literally <laughs> given dna samples to get <laughs> to get this mortgage and and at this point in time it's a it's a more secure investment for the bank mm-hmm. and and at this point in time it is scary for me and i'm sure it's scary for you probably even more so for you because this is the core of your business mm-hmm. um that we need to make sure that we keep this as a viable option and we do not have the lease option you know t- the, what happened there uh back in 2005 happened to owner financing and wrapping mortgages because it is uh i mean that's that's why this whole episode was created the way it was i wanted to basically let you guys know how amazing of a strategy is and uh, the fact that it's at risk at this point in time mm-hmm. and uh it, majority of my listeners are in the state of texas so if you're listening please um what is the website again grant www.texas100.org please go on there um join uh if, if you can't join if you can't help out now um, reach out to Grant and see what you can do. Um, post about it on social media. Let's get the word out there. I mean, this needs to be broadcasted that this is something that is actually happening because um, right. it, it's it's not talked about. You know, I mean, it, totally. at the end of the day, I mean, this could just happen and all yep. of us could not even know it was going on. So, Oh, yeah, and that's how it typically is. And we've got to really give a lot of credit to guys like Mitch Steven and Eddie Speed, who I've, I've worked really closely with over these several years on on you know on this Texas 100 stuff because they've really headed this up. And I also want to give a lot of credit to the Texas Land and Development uh, Association because they have been majorly footing the bill for these investors or for these lobbyists for many years. And we as investors are just now stepping up to to help them. They've been they've been watching our butts for years and forking over real money for it. And it's time that we start fork, forking over money to help ourselves. It's time for us to stop relying on some pie in the sky somebody else to watch out for us. We have the ability to change things. 
But but you know, if we're not if we're not active, and guys, it doesn't take a lot to be active. A thousand dollars in a year to make sure that you can. I mean, you make a thousand dollars on one deal, easy. You know what I mean? Like that is not a lot. We're trying to make this manageable for everybody so that we can all win and all have a representation in the government. And this all to protect, in my opinion, the best passive income strategy in single family real estate investing. Agreed. I I mean, (laughs) a thousand dollars is nothing. I will be uh, joining. So we only need 34 34 more people to join. (laughs) Good. I love it. Um, so there you go. Um, I will make that commitment. I will join and uh, we'll, we'll join the forces there with you guys. I would Good. love to see that this podcast makes a difference. So I am purpose, purposely asking each person that is in the state of Texas, and even if you're not in the state of Texas, uh, we would love for y'all support and help. And actually, um, if you're not in the, in the state of Texas, what you want to look up, uh, and, and let me just make sure I'm telling you the right uh, – coalition i think it's org i'm just making sure um yeah okay sellerfinancecoalition.org that's our website for the national push so if you are outside of the state of texas go join at the sellerfinancecoalition.org if you just want to only go towards the national push but if you're in texas understand texas 100 we are national and we are uh, uh, you know, pr- obviously Texas side. So there's, there's a couple of ways that you can get involved, but RJ, I appreciate your support on this because it, it I mean, and, and guys, let me be real clear here. This, this podcast is going to come out, um, you know, sometime in, and when you say probably February, February 1st. Okay. So it's right. It's right. It's happening right now that this coming out. Cool. So understand this bill is being presented to go into play September of this year. We got to mm-hmm. move now. This is not a, Oh, I'll get around to it. We got to move now. Well, with that being said, I want to wrap up on that. I I want that to be the kind of our final thoughts there. And and Grant, for anybody that is listening outside of watching Grant teach me something on Propelio TV, what's the best way people can reach out, learn more about you and do business with you? Yeah, check me out at creativecashflow.com. That's where I'm that's where I do the majority of my uh, uh training and communications and uh obviously follow me on on socials, you know, Facebook and and uh, uh Instagram that kind of thing. I love communicating, love talking with people and seeing other people succeed. And you know, if you have a success story from and I'll say this, you know, on the behalf of myself and 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 RJ, if you've been successful off of something that you've learned from either of us, please reach out and let us know because like we said at the beginning, that's the stuff that keeps us going. Otherwise, we're Absolutely. just talking to a microphone. Absolutely. Well, Grant, I, I have to commend you, man. You're, you're one of the um, most brilliant minds in real estate investing. I don't know if people tell you that enough. Um, That's super I, flattering I am, I am honored to be able to, to lead your show on Tuesdays and go on before you. Um, I, I just, you, you blow me away on Grant, teach me something. And, uh, and even with what you're doing with creative cash flow and, and, you know, I, I, I don't know your your exact involvement with what we've got going on here with this bill, but I know you're heavily involved and uh, you're you're always, you know, posting it on Facebook and, and trying to build the militia around you. And so, uh, you know, I, I just appreciate you so much for what you do for the real estate investing community. Well, that's incredibly flattering, I, I, especially, again, coming from a beast like you, that's just super flattering. So thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I really do. That, that, will, that will get my, me fired up to keep going uh, for, for the next however long. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, buddy. Well, thank you for being on the Titanium Vault today, guys. 
Uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard today, uh, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, that, that gets us out to more, more listeners and more people watching. And like Grant said, um, that's what fuels our fire is getting our message out there to people and helping people achieve success in real estate investing. So with that being said, Grant, thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next week. Awesome. Thanks. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.